All right. So today we're here with Pat Allen, who is the maintainer of Thinking Sphinx and the purveyor of Flying Sphinx, which is an add-on at Heroku for search. And he's currently serving as the CTO and co-founder of a small start. Well, I wouldn't call it a startup, I guess. What do you call it? A social a social enterprise. Social enterprise uh, called Limber. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pat, can you go ahead and talk a little bit about yourself? Uh, give a real quick history, your background, your location, uh, history, you know, that kind sure. of stuff. And let us know how you got here. Okay. Um, primarily, I, I'm a Ruby developer. So Thinking Sphinx, as you mentioned, that's a, a Ruby gem. Um, and I've been a professional Ruby developer for, it'll be 10 years at the end of this year. So we've got another month. Um, prior to that, I was a .NET developer, but um, there wasn't, and, and maybe there is now, I'm not sure, but there wasn't a strong open source uh, ethos to the .NET development community. Uh, but I picked up on Rails, a, a good friend of mine um, introduced me to Rails and I just went, wow, I really like this. And this was Rails 0. Point whatever, so mm -hmm. early, early days. I tried to do some of the same stuff in .NET. It wasn't possible. Uh, the, the metaprogramming stuff wasn't there. I, I think it is now. Um, again, I haven't, I haven't touched .NET since those days. Um, I'm sure it's changed a hell of a lot. But yeah, I got into Ruby. Uh, and about six months into that, I was working on a contract and I needed search. And Sphinx at the time was the new cool search tech. And I played with it, a couple of the existing libraries and they just didn't really gel for me. Uh, they were either extremely simple or they didn't integrate well into Rails or they did, but not in a way that I liked because um, I am opinionated, I guess, as many Ruby developers are. Uh, and so I, I set aside a weekend that was quite clearly my time as opposed to contracting time and built the first version of Thinking Sphinx. And at the time, did you have any idea that it would maybe turn into something more than just a side project that would help out your consulting work? Or was it just something no. you wanted to do? Yeah. Well, and you it obviously, just... I can say you did a great job because Sifter used Thinking Sphinx forever. And, uh, you know, yeah. you obviously really, really did an amazing job, you know, from maintenance standpoint, support, all that stuff. It was certainly one of the more positive experiences I've ever had working with such Thank a you. fairly complex technology. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm certainly far more proud of the recent versions. Uh, that first version from that weekend, I think I rewrote within a few months because I quite que clearly didn't understand Sphinx and went suddenly, you know, th three months, oh, oh, that's different to this and I need to do, ah, right, okay. Um, so it's come a long way. Um, but yeah, that, it had its ninth ninth birthday back in uh, August. Wow. So yeah, like, and, and the fact that so many people, particularly in those, the first five years of its life, uh, jumped on board and went, yes, this is the thing we want to use. The number of contributors I've, I've had is astounding. Um, I'm really, really happy with, with how it's gone. But so um, how long was it uh, just a library before you decided to, not necessarily launched Flying Sphinx, but before you decided, hey, this is something that could work? 
Yeah. Um, so it was probably six years ago, maybe maybe a bit under that, where I knew that um, I really like using Heroku for hosting, uh, but Heroku is a very carefully managed system, and so Sphinx wasn't an option. Uh, and I'm, maybe it's my stubborn side, but instead of using another tech that was available, I'm like, no, maybe I can make it work somehow. And initially, it was very much for my purpose, mm-hmm. uh, for my own apps, uh, some of them personal apps, some of them customer apps. And then kind of went a bit down that path. I'm like, oh, well, I have had other people ask if they can use Sphinx on Heroku. And my answer has been, no, sorry. Uh, it'd be nice to change that. And maybe they can pay for it. And then I need to figure out how much I'm charging and how I do with the infrastructure. And and that took several months from like just figuring out the tech, rewriting the tech, um, because trying to work with Heroku's databases at the time was quite tricky. Um, now it's it like a year in, it became far more easier. And I wish I didn't have to deal with the <laughs> well, old Well, that's the stuff, case with everything though, right? Like if only I was it. launching Sifter today. <laughs> yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. And then just uh, got some people onto it and opened up the beta and away it went. So you were spending about three years on Thinking Sphinx before the idea of Flying Sphinx came along. And even when you got the idea for Flying Sphinx, it wasn't, I want to create a business. It was, I want to use, well, yeah, I want to use Sphinx on Heroku and I can't. So, and then people were asking, hey, we would like to do that. And it's kind of pulling you along rather than you forcing an idea into a business. Is that fairly, that like, I love those stories because more often than not, like, those are the businesses that end up kind of getting going quick. Whereas so frequently, one of the questions people ask is how do I find customers? And it feels yeah. like the best way to do it is create something, help people, whatever it is, whether it's open source, a gym, or, you know, it could be a, a Google sheets that just happens to, you know, really handle all your knowledge and do it manually mm-hmm. let people ask you. And then, you know, once you stop being able to serve those people, find a way to, you know, serve them and then make enough money to support it and sustain it and keep going. Uh, it feels yeah. like it's the best way all around, uh, to do that. Um, so as a Heroku add on, it mm-hmm. seems like you probably have, um, some different challenges than traditional SaaS. You don't have some challenges that other people may have like billing may be easier. Um, but it, probably still carries a lot of the uptime requirements and all that kind of stuff. Um, how would you, compared to just a traditional app, how would you compare the two? Mm. What are the pros and cons? Would you suggest somebody else uh, create a Heroku add-on or an add-on on a platform instead of creating a fully dedicated app? Or is it kind of the best and worst of both worlds? Um, I mean, so one of the main advantages, as you mentioned, is the billing. I don't have to deal with billing. Uh, I occasionally have to deal with Salesforce who pay me. So Heroku take their 30% or Salesforce, however you want to draw it. Certainly Salesforce are the ones who manage the payments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, generally that goes all smoothly, but every couple of years it feels like they they go and change their systems and I have to deal with not getting paid for a while longer than I would like. But um, generally it's pretty smooth. And yeah, I don't have to deal with 
refunds. I don't have to deal with people's credit cards not working, invoices, none of that. Yeah. So it's like 30%. Well, that is a bit, but there's a whole lot of pain there that I don't have, don't have to deal with. Yeah. What about support? Now, Does that come into it too? or? That uh, Yeah. So Heroku are very good at, at integrating their add-on customers into uh, their support system. Okay. And they will assign tickets to you, or to me. Um, so they're like, oh, this, is, this sounds like a Sphinx thing. Hey, Pat, your problem. Um, and I'm sure they do the same with other add-on providers as well. And I have my own support system as well, but customers come through one or two of those channels generally. Um, yeah, so support is normal. Um, uptime is normal, and that's been a bit of a shift from just building apps to going, oh, no, I have paying customers around the world in all time zones. Right, okay. And as a one-person business, there's only so much you can do, but you, it's a constant learning experience of like, okay. Yeah. So I, I, for the last few years, I've had a, a cheap Nokia with a dedicated SIM that sits by my bed. Mm-hmm. And it comes with me on my travels, and it's always on. So that way I can, my, my main phone, with all the different alerts it will have, personal and, and work-related, can be off. But if a server goes down... My Nokia makes a hell of a racket and wakes me up. That's a really good idea. I think I thought about that in the past because I didn't. I, I hated having to leave my phone on at night when the only alerts mm. I cared about were really, really rare. But that's a really good idea is to keep a cheap phone that just makes noise and anything works with SMS and, and phone these days, yeah. you know, with Pingdom or yeah. any of that. So that's a really, I, I probably should have thought about that a lot more. Um, <laughs> So I mean, it, it, it varies. I mean, I guess you've been building more of an app rather than infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and that's, so you, your customers' apps don't go down yeah. when your service goes down. Yeah, so infrastructure is a whole other level of stress um, for sure. Yeah. Now that I'm at Wildbit and helping out with Postmark and that sort of thing, uh, yes. you know, when, when something goes wrong, it really, really ripples quick. Whereas with Sifter was down, it was, yeah, it was an inconvenience and some people cared, but it wasn't like if their whole product was offline because of, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so marketing, do you feel like being an add-on in Heroku really helps generate customers or do you feel like customers already have, uh, you know, they want to use Sphinx and so they're going to use it. Does that help or does it, is it kind of a wash? Um, I, I have never done any sustained marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I've done indirect in the way that like there's a talk I gave at a conference or two around mm-hmm. how I built it uh, and the infrastructure challenges of my own there and, and all that um, and that probably helped make some people aware um, but just generally going when people go hey I'm using thinking sphinx and sphinx and I want to use Heroku can I do that I can now go yes yes you can, yes, you can. okay so a lot um, of it then is existing yeah existing awareness yeah. around it and not necessarily Heroku bringing a whole slew of new potential customers. I mean, there's probably some. No. The, yeah. The, the, probably a handful. But like of the customers I have, I, and I don't think that number's growing anymore. As from what I can see, it's probably slowly shrinking because Sphinx isn't new and cool and hot anymore. And then that's just tech. Yeah. Um, but I would guess that all bar maybe one or two, if any, are using Ruby and Thinking Sphinx. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think my point there too was 
can imagine a lot of people being like, oh, if I create an add-on, then I don't have to worry about marketing because it'll just be there and people will use it. But yeah. you wouldn't, I imagine you wouldn't have counted on that as being your primary channel for finding customers and, and growing it. Um, not entirely. I, I mean, I knew that there were a lot of people out there who wanted to use Sphinx. Yeah. And Heroku, particularly when I first built it, was like the platform to, to get behind. Yeah. Uh, especially if you didn't want to have to deal with your own infrastructure costs yourself or not directly. Um, yeah, so I knew that people were going to come and use it. I had no idea how many. Um, yeah, so it's just nice to have that growth, but I wouldn't just build an add-on and go, hey, cool, there we go, done. Yeah. It's to do something new. Yeah. Looking over my questions. Um... So what's your favorite part like of, of building software, especially hosted software? What is it mm. that is exciting about it to you? Um, and not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the tech. I mean, it can be the technology, uh, the, the people, the scale. Like for me with Sifter, the coolest thing was that you can build something and it can reach so many people. You know, it's effectively, you know, not infinite scale, but relative to any other business mm. where you set up a shop in a small town, um, you know, it can only reach the, the people in that town. But with yeah. software online, you can reach and help, you know, thousands of people with marginally more effort. So like, for instance, that was for me kind of what just always made it exciting is there's so many people out there to reach. Um, what kind yeah. of, what is it for you that's been enjoyable or really relative to other types of work you've done? From an enjoyable perspective, I think the ability to build and I'm not saying I've hit these targets, but build elegant tools. Yeah. Uh, that's that's my joy in writing a whole lot of Ruby gems, and and then you know Flying Sphinx as a service, trying to make the barrier of entry as low as possible, and making it a smooth experience for people. Uh, yeah, and there is definitely room for improvement there. But, yeah. Well, nothing's um, ever done, right? No, for sure. Uh, and, and every now and then I'm like, okay, maybe I should rewrite thinking Sphinx or refactor this and, and do that. Uh, and certainly with Flying Sphinx, I mean, as I mentioned, it's not really growing anymore. Mm -hmm. So putting more time into the business probably isn't wise. But every now and then it's like, no, I need I need to fix that bit. I need to change that bit. So I still yeah. jump in and, and do things for sure. It's. I feel like it was always a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing that there's always something to work on. There's a curse that always there was something to be working on, you know? And so you could yeah, never be yeah. like, I'm done. I can relax because as soon yeah. as you ship something, even that thing's going to have maintenance and support. And then there's the next thing yeah. on your list. And so, mm -hmm. um, I feel like software is a very difficult business to say, I've done all the things what's next. It's just, yeah. you know, constantly just trying to stay afloat. So, um, yeah. so having done, a lot of support for open source and very mm -hmm. excellent support, I might add. How would you say that Thank compares you. to supporting a paid product? Is it is it better, easier, worse, about the same? Because And the reason, for a little more context, a lot of people I know yeah. with SaaS are worried about um, if I launch an app on the side, how am I going to find time to answer all the emails and do all the support and manage all of that? And I think... Uh, it's, I know I was worried about it when I originally got started and I hear a lot of people kind of, that's their fears. Like, well, I've got a full-time job. How am I going to manage that? Yeah. 
I mean, there are strong overlaps, I guess, between the open source support and, and the uh, SaaS support. Um, uh, I will sometimes drop things for SaaS support. Uh, if, but it, you know, it depends what the customer needs. If they're just like, uh, things are a bit slow, then it, it might not be an urgent issue. I might have a quick look and go, okay, I'm going to have to come back to you. Um, and sometimes there's time zones involved and generally customers are extremely understanding about that, which is great. Um, but for the most part, it's like people are irritated that something's not working and you want to help them. Uh, and I think it's more something about open source than it is about SaaS is that sometimes get people get really annoyed, uh, really frustrated, really angry. Um, and I feel that's maybe a little more warranted with SaaS because they're paying for the service. Yeah. Uh, open source, they're not. It's kind of like, well, is there some entitlement issues there, which that's a whole other talk. It is. <laughs> um, I've actually presented at a couple of conferences covering that and a bunch of other stuff around open source lately. So I've been thinking about that a bit. But um, yeah, look, for people who are going into it and thinking, oh, this might take up a lot of my time, if you have a decent amount of confidence around how you build things and you feel they're generally pretty stable, then if you've got a lot of people contacting you, that either means that one, you've misjudged how st stable it is, which is okay because you can fix that hopefully pretty easily, mm -hmm. or two, you've got a lot of customers coming in, right? Because um, you wouldn't expect to have contact with most of your customers. Yeah. Mostly you'd expect the documentation and uh, the service itself to, to help them step through what they need to do. So if you've got a lot of people jumping in and, and hassling you, that probably means you're quite successful, yeah. which is a nice problem to have. Now, whether you want that success is up to you. You know, you might be like, well, I actually like my main job and this was just something fun. Um, every person's going to have to deal with that their own way, I think. Did you anticipate Flying Sphinx being a significant thing or was your hope always, eh, it'll be cool if this, you know, helps pay rent or, you know, is it, did you have high hopes for it or just, I'm doing this anyway, so cool if I can make money off of it and it can pay some bills as well and help me reinvest yeah. time into the, the whole project? Um, it, it has varied over time. Certainly when I started, I think my, I have one friend in, in particular, Steve Hopkins, who, uh, uh, currently works for a company called Culture Amp in San Francisco, but he is from Melbourne where I am. Uh, but he lived in Sydney for a few years and I was up there visiting for a conference and staying with him and had told him about, oh, I wouldn't mind maybe building this thing, Heroku Sphinx, blah, blah, blah. And he's not a developer, uh, but he's, a, he's not only an excellent friend, he's a, he's a smart business person and, and culture and, and people person. And he's like, okay, so what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, the conference is over. I might just chill, um, wander around Sydney or whatever. He's like, no, no, no. You've just told me what you're doing tomorrow. You're <laughs> sitting down and you're working on this thing and I will buy you all the hot chocolates you need because I don't drink coffee. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you will start on it. And I'm like, okay, right. Um, and it's so great to have, like, I think Steve spotted the potential of it more than I did. At that yeah. point, uh, but over the years, uh, or even just within that first year, I guess it's kind of like, okay, is this something 
that's useful for me and then you look at the cost and you're like well I hope it's useful for at least a handful of other people and then it starts building and you're like oh no okay I can make a little bit of money off it and I still make a bit of money off it not yeah. enough to live off but um, it pays for itself and then some yeah which is nice well, it's it's funny because it feels like so many business there's kind of two things that that made me think of and it's there's so many businesses that are kind of accidental businesses they weren't mm. really, uh, it was just, oh, hey, people like this and there's something there and it just kind of snowballs until it becomes something. And then there's the things where people have an idea and it could very well be a viable business, but it's just kind of stays in that idea phase because there's no, there's no tipping point. There's no spark that makes them go, you know what, mm. I'm just going to sit down and do it. And yeah. I think a lot of that is fear that I have to commit to this huge, big undertaking and set aside six months of right. my life or I'll never be able to pull it off. But the reality is like, there's always something you can build, um, and start with, and then just step by step, you know, make it a little more advanced or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's, it's certainly, sorry, it's, no, it's just awesome to see that story play out over and over again for so many people. And it's funny to me how frequently that's the, you know, how it unfolds. Yeah. I mean, I have another, I guess, infrastructure as a service kind of thing um, called Drumknot, uh, named after a Terry Pratchett character. And it is hosted search, for, of course, <laughs> for, uh, for Jekyll sites. Uh, okay. They're static yep. hosted pages. Yep. And it's like, well, I want to put my blog onto Jekyll, but I feel like given so much of what I've done over the past 10 years is search, I should probably have search on my site. <laughs> um, so how do I do this? So I ended up building this service and initially I just built it for me. Yep. And then early this year, I actually had the time to actually put in all the billing code and the invoicing code. And, you know, none of that was big. And I'd done that for um, mm -hmm. contracting projects before as well. So I had some familiarity there, but I have one customer besides myself. Okay. Uh, and again, I haven't put any time in, into marketing and, and it is yeah. probably even more niche than, uh, than Sphinx itself. Um, but kind of, okay, well, I it for myself and I have one person paying $3 a month that slightly offsets my own costs. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And, you can't, and you're not going to get a whole bunch of support in the middle of the night on that. So. No, right. <laughs> and, and it also means that I've done the hard yards now for my own project, like the whole billing and invoicing side of things. So I can, t and I actually open source, open sourced uh, the, the code for that. Um, so not even just I can take it and use it somewhere else, but somebody else can do so as well. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Whether the code's any good. <laughs> I'm no. sure it is. It's, it's tested. So, if they're, you know, I think this probably is going to vary based on the type of project, but if somebody else had an open source project they were passionate about, um, but maybe they felt like they wanted to dedicate more time to it. Uh, but obviously it's kind of a catch 22 because you, everybody still has to make a living one way or another. Um, and right. you know, a lot of people, I think they might be passionate about their project to say, how can I go ahead and start, you know, evolve this into some sort of business. Mm. Um, so search that, dovetails nicely with Heroku. Are there other things or other just tips you've thought of or encountered or learned that 
you would have for other people who are in a similar situation that want to take their open source project and turn it into something a little, um, you know, something more core that they can spend time on and make a living off of? Mm. It's a tricky one because, as you say, it's going to be different with every type of project, right? Uh, I mean, you look at Mike Perham, who's built Sidekick up and made, you know, a nice bit of money through it, which is fantastic because it's a great project and I use it all the time. Uh, Although I I personally haven't had something where I'm paying for it. So, you know, uh, it's all very well for me to support these things, but I'm not doing everything in my own power to support them either. Um, It feels like generally I wouldn't set your sights too high Um, because some projects, like I've written tons and tons of open source code and I've had one big hit mm-hmm. and I am extremely lucky to have had that. Um, it just happened to be right place, right time, really. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to have even one big hit. Yeah. Um, so l- looking at your open source projects and your open source code and kind of going that, I want to make that my, even some income on the side, that's, it's a big ask. Yeah. Um, if you've got something that that is related to infrastructure, then I feel that that's an easier step to make. If you've got something that's just popular in some way, then again, that's that's easy to make uh, the step. But um, I, I think some of it's going to come down to more having the support of your employer, yeah, or um, your clients. I mean, the I I was working with the development team for a few years here in Melbourne called Inspire9 Development. And generally when we built things for our clients, we'd see patterns that we'd been doing in different projects and it's like, right, that that is not core to the product so we can open source it. And we just open sourced a hell of a lot of stuff. Like most of it, I don't think anybody else is using because we didn't really promote it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the team that I worked with were very supportive of going, is that generic? Sure, make it open source. Yeah. Um, and if people have questions about it, sure, spend a bit of time helping them. Yeah. So, so kind of default to open, and then if there's a reason to keep it private, keep it private. Otherwise, put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but just having an employee who's like, look, you want to spend a bit of time on open source. We know that feeds your passion. We know that helps our code. Yeah. Go for it. Um, and, and that's a big ask for employers. Don't get me wrong, okay. but not the right ones. We have yeah. such a well. Sh- yeah, I mean, you it, know, it is tough. Though. It, there's there's a lot of legal implications. The smaller businesses, and... right? Um, you know, not everyone's a Heroku or a you know um, a GitHub with with tons of cash to kind of go. Sure, sure. You know, we'll How hire people it? just to do open source. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've lost my train of thought a little bit there, but I think that the well, no, gist is... there's a lot of there's a lot to it. And I think probably one of the bigger things is just it's the same for any business is make sure that you have business customers, right? And so if it's an infrastructure product project that you're working on, there's a chance that you know business could leverage that. Then there's value in it, and there's yeah. surely a way you can you know like you said with Mike, who I'm supposed to talk to, uh, I think later in the week actually, um, about. How can you tier it such that there's still value in the open source, 
but then find a way for the enterprises that are really getting a lot of value out of the project yeah. to pay for it and contribute back into it. And in a way, it turns into this virtuous cycle and it allows you to improve the project and, you know, every, everybody wins. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but just like anything else, there still has to be some business viability there so it can sustain itself. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so we're coming up close to the end. And uh, mm. I think the last question is, if you could do it all over again, <laughs> uh, and this is kind of twofold, and you can answer mm -hmm. either way, is kind of what was the most painful thing that you've dealt with and what would you do differently to fix that pain or avoid it entirely? Um, so... I mentioned the database issues earlier that, that that may have been the biggest pain point um, in a in a way that it's it's far more visible I guess um, I, there, there are probably things with my choices of how I've built uh, flying sphinx over the years that just little bits of pain here and there but that one was a bit more sustained um, and that was that the original Postgres databases on Heroku, you couldn't access externally. Uh, and Sphinx, uh, at least in, in the feature set it had available then, uh, had to talk to your database. Mm -hmm. Had to make uh, SQL queries direct to either MySQL or Postgres database. So what I ended up having to do, like initially I looked into using RDS and, my, and it was only MySQL at that point in time. And I switched a couple of projects over while I was building out the infrastructure. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, I just got a bill for Amazon. And I can't ask my customers, my potential customers at that point, to spend $80 a month just to have a database when they get it for free with Heroku. Yeah. Um, so what I was doing instead was doing a reverse SSH proxy back to my servers and then my servers could connect through like from your app and then my servers could connect through your app to your database. Uh, and it worked. It wasn't as like the tweaks I made along the way to make it a little bit faster. Um, but it wasn't elegant by any means, obviously, nor ideal, uh, but it worked. And then, of course, about a year in Heroku, like, oh, no, we're doing a new version of our databases and it allows external access. It's just like that. <laughs> that would have been really nice a year ago. We've removed so many head... Like, because I, I brainstormed with uh, the... In this co-working space with my peers around, like, right, this is a problem. One of them's a network engineer and he's like, well, you could try this, you could try that. And other smart people are putting in thoughts and that, like, all of that was amazing. Yeah. Uh-oh. We lost you there for a this, second. And this, and put it all together. And uh, oh, don't worry. I was just the frustration <laughs> of, of having yeah, all of that. Yeah, no, uh, and I think, in a way, I think that's a good anecdote because there's so many things that when you're building something, it's so easy to hit it and just be like, "This is ridiculous. How am I ever going to get around this?" Like, it's such, it's so easy to let it just really, really drag you down when you know there's just too many things you have to fight through like that to mm. make anything work, right? If it's not that, it's something else, whether it's credit card fraud or, right. you know, whatever it is. There's always something that's going to kind of really, really suck the life out of you and really, like, take the wind out of the sails on a project. 
Mm. And uh, I think too often, like I know no matter how much I know that when that happens to me in a project, it's just like, all right, I got to take a day off. Like I'm defeated. I give up. Like we all deal with that, right? Like that's just the nature of software. Um, So it's, it's nice to know for nice for everybody to know that it's not always smooth sailing, I guess is where I'm going with that for sure. Um, So that's really kind of the gist of it. Uh, Is there anything else you want to share about your experiences or any random anecdotes that uh, people have, have heard you tell before? They're like, Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. Um, anything like that you want to, no, nothing comes to mind at this point. All no. right. All right. That's no. fair. Well, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I think there's a lot of good anecdotes in here and, uh, insight for Wonderful. people. So I really appreciate it. No problem. Happy to have the chat. Yeah.